Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. I didn't think about it, what day it is today. It's kind of a strange week. It's Rose Bowl week. And I wanted to bring a friend of mine uh, in to talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions. Of course, USC's opponent on January 2nd, Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. Uh, Mark Brennan, he's the publisher of FightOnState.com. They are part of the Scout.com network. He does a great job of covering Penn State for Scout. And we go back many, many years. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at MarkXBrennan. He's a verified guy. He's got that little blue check mark, so you know he's legit. What is up, Mark? How you doing? Well, you talk about you having a crazy week. I got out here with my wife and daughter on Christmas Eve, and we're jumping from hotel to hotel. So I don't even know where I'm staying, let alone what day it is. But, hey, it should be a great game. And the weather here is much better than it is back in Pennsylvania, Ryan. So I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I grew up in uh, western Pennsylvania, you know, and then we yep. left there. And so I, I that's why I moved out here, Mark, because the weather's beautiful. And it's You're not- spoiled. <laughs> you get soft too after all this time. Well, I did a radio show uh, yesterday. It was with the people back at ESPN Radio in Allentown, and I was having fun with them, saying, "Man, it's so hot out here. I'm sweating. The sun is beating down on me. You know, the breeze is just. I mean, it's, <laughs> so they were they were in the middle of uh, 25 degree temperatures. I think so. They 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 weren't enjoying me rubbing it in their face at all. But it is. Hey, it's great to be out here. And obviously, you know, you know. This matchup has been, you know, these have been two teams that have played a lot through the years, some great games, postseason games, in-season games. So it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, the last time these two teams played back at the 2009 Rose Bowl, we actually were both, uh, so I don't know if people remember this, but there was a little <laughs> show on uh, NFL Network called College Football Now. Um, and, uh, yeah, we it was, it was funny. Both, they had publishers from Scout, and rivals on it. So it wasn't like they picked one. Yep. And I was the USC guy from, and I was at rivals at the time and you were a scout still. Uh, now I'm at scout, obviously, um, for Penn State. And we actually did a live, we were on their live show. Like we were in the, in the, uh, studio there doing live stuff with, I, I can't remember who it was, uh, who was the host, but it was, uh, that was kind of fun. It was wild. It was a little nerve wracking, but I, I can say this much, at least, at least from the people who, who know me. They much prefer to hear me in a podcast than seeing my ugly face on the NFL <laughs> network. So this is probably the better way for me to do things. But yeah, that was really wild. The studio, I couldn't believe how big it was. And, you know, both of us were there. And the thing I remember the most is I think I made some comment about I thought the, uh, the Penn State defensive backs were going to do a really good job against the USC receivers. So, and, Penn State had not faced a quarterback like Sanchez all year in the Big Ten. And Sanchez, no matter what people say in the NFL, he was a good college quarterback, especially that year, and he just lit Penn State up. So I think your analysis on that show, Ryan, was slightly better than my analysis. <laughs> Hopefully I can do a little better this time. It was it was fun. and like So we would always do the show. They would tape it earlier. Yep. And normally people are like at a satellite location. I would always go into the studio, but I would be in a – because it was close because I was in L.A., I would go in a little box somewhere. So I was away from Paul Burmeister, uh, or Burmeister, yeah. right? Yeah. He was the host. And, uh, so I was always in this little room, but then we were out like on the main stage. And I remember at the end, they're like, 
and you then you got to throw it back to the the host after you're done. Right. I'm like I'm like what? Like I've never done anything like this before, but it was it was cool. They made you do it, so they must have realized that you were a little bit more comfortable <laughs> handling the TV stuff. Now, you know the, the the crazy part about all that is that I was I was super nervous doing it because you're right. When you did it, like I, I would do it at AccuWeather in State College, which had a satellite uplink. But so I was really nervous doing that. Well, after all, you know what broke loose at Penn State with the Sandusky scandal. I ended up being on all these these national news shows because they wanted somebody who could kind of give the kind of feeling of Penn State, you know, football fans about everything that was going on. So I ended up, you know, ultimately big on things like CNN and MSNBC. <laughs> and thanks to that, back when I was really nervous about it, I ended up being able to handle that stuff because, as you might imagine, I was getting some pretty crazy questions thrown my way on live TV. But once again, you know, clearly I have a face made for radio and podcast, so I'm happy to do it. <laughs> it is funny. So that's one of the, you know, there's a lot of, uh, attributes in common with these two programs and the sanctions yep. being one of them. Uh, I'm sure, you know, we get a lot of questions. You know, we're out. I know you just came from practice. We'll talk about that a little bit, but you know, all the press conferences, it seems like you gotta, there's questions about it all the time about, Hey, both teams were hit with like, you know, the hardest NCAA sanctions since basically SMU. Yeah, and I, you know, the, the, the odd part about it, I didn't realize this, I guess USC at the end of the day ultimately had more scholarships that it lost because Penn State had everything kind of given back or invalidated uh, more quickly than anybody would have thought. But, you know, I think the one thing that it speaks to both programs is the history and the tradition. You know, these are two of the few programs that I think would be able to survive the sort of sanctions that they were hit with because they were both slammed with very harsh sanctions. And Penn State, they're, you know, for, I, I know a lot of your listeners probably haven't followed Penn State. This wasn't supposed to be the year where they got back into the top ten, because they are at about, I think, 82, 83 scholarships. This is the first year where they had a full complement to give. But what people don't realize is you just don't get back to 85 scholarships at a normal class breakdown. So this is a really young team. I mean, I think they have initial scholarship seniors, guys who weren't walk-ons who earned scholarships along the way. I think they have like seven or eight of them on the team. So you're looking at a team right now that began the season before any injuries or anything, that 66% of their scholarship players had freshman and sophomore eligibility. And that's why a lot of people are thinking, you know, Franklin's doing a great job recruiting. He's bringing in a lot of talent. But everybody figured it was going to take another year or two, that this would be a year where maybe seven, eight type wins, and then next year you started to see the fruits of it. Well, you know, I think the young talent has come along a little bit more quickly than anybody imagined, and that's why they kind of are where they are and were able to overcome. If you look at Penn State now, Ryan, and I know I'm rambling here, but there really is not a player that you're going to look at and say, this guy is going to be a first-round draft pick this year. Or, you know, this guy is going to be even a second-round draft pick this year. This isn't going to be a team that puts a lot of guys in the NFL this year. Down the line, yeah, the Saquon Barkley's, those kind of kids, they are going to go to the NFL. They're going to have a lot of kids down the line. But this year, you know, they, they, were, they were barely represented on the All-Big Ten teams. And I think it all speaks to the fact that this was a very young team that I think outkicked its coverage a little bit this year. Yeah, the uh, I had to become an expert. I'm sure you had too, just on all the, the yep. rules and compliance and all this kind of stuff. We made a scholarship distribution chart just to kind of show, and you can see how heavy it's weighted towards the underclassmen as the upperclassmen. It, it, it takes years to to kind of get through that. So yeah, both programs are pretty familiar with 
all the uh, trials and tribulations of getting hit with sanctions like that. Yeah, well, and you can't bring like I say, I'm not sure what what USC's uh, JUCO policy is. Penn State will bring in one or two a year. So you know there are other programs that you could that, that may have gone for a quick fix and brought in ten JUCO guys. And I just don't think that ever works. Michigan State did that for years, even though they didn't have any sanctions. They they were always bringing in a ton of JUCO guys. And you know what? It never worked because you didn't have that continuity. They're good to plug a spot here, a spot there, a few spots. But you need to have those guys who are in there from their freshman year, you know, develop that continuity within the program. And that's, I think, probably for both of these programs what you're seeing. And, and I, I know it's the case in the Big Ten. You know, I, I think people are outside of Michigan and Ohio State who are always going to be there, always going to be good programs. I think just about everybody else in the Big Ten is a little afraid of what Penn State has the, the, the possibility of becoming. And I'll bet you it's the same thing in the Pac-12 with USC because you're looking at a team that struggled early in the year and it comes on and plays like gangbusters and it's starting to look more and more like the USC of old. And I, I think it's kind of the case for both of these programs. Yeah, I mean, that's another one of the similarities. And uh, you mentioned James Franklin. Um, I mean, I definitely read early in the season, there was, you know, him being on the hot seat, certainly Clay Helton in his first full year, uh, after USC was one and three was on the hot seat and both coaches seemed to be able to turn things around and, uh, get a lot more pats on the back than, than jeers that they were early in the season. Yeah. I don't think Franklin was ever really on the hot seat. I know there were, were rumors out there, but the AD here, Sandy Barber, she had been the AD at Cal. You know, the one thing that she, I think she has a pretty good handle on the impact that the sanctions had. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a backhanded compliment that a lot of people, I think, forget how severe the sanctions against Penn State were and that players were allowed to transfer, you know, without penalty that for a couple of years there, they were down in the 60 scholarship range. So they were able to get all those things back. And then what impact might that have had on recruiting for a couple of years? And then Bill O'Brien leaves. So it, it wasn't as if this was a normal situation. I think Sandy Barber was smart enough. And she told us this back in the summer. And then she reiterated it, reiterated it, which some people viewed as the kiss of death. Because, you know, whenever an AD says, oh, no, I have his back, it usually means they don't. But she had said this even before the season started that, you know, Penn State's goal is to ultimately play for championships. But they fully realized where they were because of the sanctions. So it, with, in that respect, Ryan, they have done better even than their AD expected. And I will bet you they, they've done better. The coaches and players would never admit it. It's funny because somebody wrote a story saying, you know, the only people who saw this coming were the players. Back at Big Ten Media Days, they all talked about, you know, all the Penn State players who were there, they, they had these quotes about, we're playing for a Big Ten championship. It's like, yeah, that's great. They say that every single year. What do you think they're going to say at Big Ten Media Days? That we're going out and not playing to do anything? So this just happened to be the year that it came true, but the AD and I'll bet you the coaching staff, if you shot them full of truth serum, they wouldn't have expected it to happen this quickly. The, uh, the game itself should be interesting. Some of the matchups, um, one of our guys, uh, does a, uh, advanced stats kind of preview thing. And yep. if you, I don't know if you, if you get into that, I'm not too big into it, but, um, it's funny because USC's defense seems to, you know, give up explosive plays. Obviously, Penn State's offense uh, loves explosive plays, and it's a little bit different on the, the USC side's more of a uh, an efficient offense. It's not, you know, they'll get chunk plays, but not really the big explosive plays, and that seems to yeah. be where the Penn State defense kind of struggles a little bit. So it seems like these kind of, you know, the the defenses like what they don't aren't very good at the, the opposing offenses are good at. 
Right, which is going to make it a fun game, in my view. I mean, and that's what, yeah. To me, no, nobody's going to a bowl game looking for a uh, no, looking for a no hitter or looking for a one nothing. You know, to use baseball analogy, nobody's going to a bowl game looking for that. I think everybody likes to see lots of points scored, and, and I think you're going to see it. Penn State's defense has been kind of underrated this year. They struggled early in the year when all three of their starting linebackers were out, and they were down to fifth, sixth team guys walk-ons and and that's when when they got really lit up by Michigan and Pitt that was part of the deal with both of those teams especially the Michigan game I mean Penn State just the the defense then was was nowhere close to what it is now but even so I mean you look at you know Wisconsin was able to get up on them 28 to 7 or whatever it was and scored a bunch of points in the first half and was was able to exploit some of the maybe weaknesses of the defense the one thing if you're a USC fan the one thing that has really set this defense apart as the year has gone on, they developed great depth. All these injuries they had allowed them to play a bunch of players. And so what they continue to do, Brent Pride, the defensive coordinator, he plays in the first half, you will see them rotating out their starting, their starting line especially. They'll play 10 guys on the line, and they'll rotate those guys constantly throughout the game. But their starting linebackers are pretty good especially Cabinda and Bell, and both of those guys will come out in the first half. They will sub for those guys, and they'll sub for everybody in the secondary. So they're playing at least two guys at just about every position in the first half. So Penn State, if you go back and look at the stats, where they've been really good defensively has been in the second halves of most of these games, and especially the fourth quarter. When they've had to drop the hammer on somebody, they've been able to do it. And that's the one thing. They, again, you you are not going to see a superstar defensive player on this on this defense, but what you are going to see is a ton of just really good players that they just rotate through these guys. And and I'm not sure if USC's seen anybody like that. There's anybody like that in the Pac-12. I haven't seen Penn State do this. You know, they've always done it with the D line, but I've never seen them do it with the uh, with the secondary and the linebackers. So watch for you know some quote unquote no name players to be in there early in the game. And if they get burned, that they'll have their best players in at the end and they'll be fresh. The, uh, the explosive play element is, uh, is interesting. And if, if any, you know, if USC fans, if you didn't watch any of the games, definitely check out the Wisconsin game, uh, down by 21 points. And Trace McSorley just starts throwing bombs and, uh, completely yeah. them. Uh, I mean, that was a fun, uh, game to watch. It's crazy. I mean, has it kind of been like that all year? What's what's the offense been like as far as, you know, because obviously yeah. they do get a lot of explosive plays. Well, they brought in a new coordinator, Joe Moorhead. And early in, he's, a guy came in, he was the head coach at Fordham, but he's one of these offensive whizzes, and he does a lot of the read pass options. So early in the year, McSorley was the new quarterback, replaced Christian Hackenberg, who was a second-round draft pick, didn't have a great Penn State career, but a lot of that may have had to do that he wasn't surrounded by a ton of talent. He never really developed. Everybody was wondering what McSorley was going to be like. And through the first three or four games, he struggled. He struggled with the repass option. And you, if you look at Saquon Barkley's numbers, the running back, he really struggled because everybody was just crowding the line. And then they get in, in, into this Minnesota game the week after they lost to Michigan. And late in that game, McSorley busted off a 26-yard run. And since that time, it's been like a different team because of different offense because everybody has had to prepare. McSorley is not like the second coming of Michael Vick, but he's a slick runner and he's just very savvy and he'll pick up yards when they're there. 
and what that forces the defense to do is to also concentrate on him. So it's not a coincidence, Ryan, that early in the year, Saquon Barkley was averaging, I think, 4.2 yards per carry, which isn't all that good for, for this, that caliber of running back. After that run late in the game that helped set up an over, a field goal that sent him to overtime, since then, Barkley's averaging close to six yards per carry. Wow. So it went up almost two full yards. And the reason is people have had to play McSorley honestly in terms of possibly running the ball. Now, why does that make a difference with explosive plays? Now, people have to account for McSorley and Barkley, and you're either bringing up a safety or your linebackers can't drop back, and they have enough, enough depth. Even with, even with Saeed Blacknall, the kid who was suspended, he missed a lot of the year. Uh, with a finger injury. So they're, they're used to playing without him. He had a great game in, against Wisconsin. But they have a, a really nice core of receivers and a terrific tight end in Mike Kosicki. And because everybody has to play that run game honestly, these guys are able to get behind people. Again, they don't have a superstar on offense other than if you look at their offense right now, Saquon Barkley is the one guy you would look at and say he's going to be really good in the NFL someday. He is going to be – I don't know if he's a first-round pick, but he's going to be a high draft pick. You look everywhere else, maybe some of their young offensive linemen, but their skill guys, they have good receivers, but not super tremendous, but they have a lot of them, and they hit you in waves. If you look down through Penn State's stats, they spread the ball around really well, and that's been a huge difference from the last couple of years where they really would focus, Hackenberg would focus in on one receiver and really one receiver only, and that made them much easier to stop. I know that's a long answer, but obviously <laughs> I've talked about these things a lot. Uh, and it's it's something that I think, as a USC fan, be aware of some of the depth that Penn State has. It's, they're they're going to run a lot of players out there on both sides of the ball. Certainly something to watch. Um, you mentioned uh, suspensions. USC uh, you know, had a couple of players academically ineligible, both um, you know reserve uh, defensive players. Uh, one of them played more on special teams. Um, what kind of impact with the suspensions? It was kind of weird. I guess they James Franklin didn't announce who they were. Um, but then he did. He wasn't going to, and then he did. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was at Disney, and you know, they ha- they have that Disneyland media availability. And for us, it was important to get there because we hadn't talked to Franklin in a couple weeks. And this is the time of year where you have to ask about the academic stuff. So after he got done answering all the ridiculous questions about who's your favorite Disney character, I mean, come on, who's that? Who cares who his favorite? You know. So I jump in. I'm like, hey, James, you know, just some housekeeping stuff. Did everybody make it through academically? And that's where he, he came and said, you know, academically, we're still waiting for some grades to come in. But there, uh, there are some guys, he said, who have been uh, suspended for a violation of team rules, but I'm not going to name them. And then yesterday at practice, he does. So it's Saeed Blacknall, receiver, who had a, a career game against Wisconsin. Deep threat, averages more than 20 yards per catch. Really good receiver, but not necessarily their best receiver. They have guys who have been, have been more kind of versatile and he, he missed six games this year with a finger injury. So the guy who will replace him is DeAndre Tompkins. Played really well earlier in the year, and then as Blacknall came back, Tompkins didn't play quite as much. He's a smaller guy than Blacknall, but pretty fast. Uh, how much of I don't think that's going to be a gigantic impact. The other player, Manny Bowen, sophomore linebacker, played really well at outside linebacker for the most of the year. He's their third-best linebacker. Um, the, the guy replacing him, is going to be Koa Farmer, the Southern California kid, the kid from up north of just north of Pasadena. Koa Farmer was really good as a situational blitzer. They would let him loose, and I think he has three sacks on the year, maybe four and a half tackles for losses, where 
Cole Farmer was a guy who was a really good offensive player in high school. He had committed to Cal, was being – Franklin to Vanderbilt, ended up when, – when Franklin got the Penn State job, he immediately switched and ended up going, you know, committing to Penn State. But he was an offensive player, and he's still getting used to playing defense. So if you allow him to pin his ears back and get after the quarterback, he's really good at doing that. Where you have to watch Koa Farmer is how is he going to do if he has to drop back into coverage, and how is he going to do in run support? Because those are two things that they didn't ask him to do an awful lot of. He was a guy that would run in there second and long, third and long, obvious passing situations. So that's a spot, as again, as a USC fan, if you're looking for, I don't want to call it a weakness because I don't think that would be fair to Koa. I hate to be that negative about players, but he's a guy who can get after the quarterback, but I'll bet you USC is going to test him maybe with some, some tight end, you know, that, that sort of running straight at him. And they're going to see how he's able to do handling that. The, uh, one of the other signatures of this Penn State team has been the ability to come back and, uh, some, you know, yeah. most notably Ohio State. What have you, I mean, is this something, have you seen this before with the Nittany Lion team? And what, what's it been like kind of covering this team that just doesn't seem to ever be out of it, even when they're down? Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things. Number one, what we talked about, the depth on defense, and they get, just get better and better. So even if they get down, they they never think that they're out of it. And the other thing is McSorley. I mean, this guy, the best way to describe McSorley, he's the quarterback who's on the other team. But when you're when your team is facing him, you hate him. Because you realize he doesn't have a rocket arm. He's not a 4-4-40 guy. But somehow he beats you. It, 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 you know, he's the guy that everybody, everybody just hates. I mean, it was amazing because, you know, they named JT Barrett the, the Big Ten, uh, all Big Ten quarterback. And if you look at his numbers compared to, to, to McSorley's, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't know how McSorley didn't rate higher, but, uh, he just is one of these guys. He's, it's a cliche, but he's a football player. When he was in high school in Virginia, he started four years. His team won three state titles and played for the state title in the fourth year. So all he's ever done is won. And he was in a battle with a, a retro freshman by the name of Tommy Stevens out of Indiana throughout the offseason. And it's one of these deals where, you know, he played uh, pretty well in practice, ends up getting a job. But when the lights go on, boy, he just has a knack. And, and the guy seems to really follow him. You know, Hackenberg, the one thing, a couple things that Hackenberg really struggled with was not mobile. You know, he was actually probably a little quicker than people thought, but was not mobile at all. So, so defenders were able to really just get after him. And that's why as much heat as Penn State's offensive line took, I would say, you know, at least a third of the responsibility for all the times Hackenberg was sacked was, was his own inability to get out of the way. And he had no, no pocket presence, no pocket awareness. And this guy, I mean, it's, it's been amazing. Again, once he got comfortable in this new offense, about four or five, about the fifth, middle of the fifth game, he just became like a different player. Just has this great pocket awareness and you're going to see him out there and, and people are going to laugh and say, my God, this little guy, he's not going to, I can't believe he, <laughs> he did this and this. But once he gets out there and starts playing, he's pretty good. He actually, we saw a little bit, a bit of it last year too, Ryan. Hackenberg played the entire year. I think McSorley maybe got a handful of snaps. And then Hackenberg got hurt early in the uh, Tax Slayer Bowl, what it used to be the Gator Bowl, against Georgia. And Penn State fell behind, and McSorley led them back, and they ended up losing on an interception at the goal line 
late in the game. But we, so you started to see it a little bit from McSorley then. Nobody knew if that was an aberration or what he was all about. And clearly it turned out, at least to this point, what he's all about. The kid is just, he, again, it's cliche, but the kid is a winner and just has a knack for, for doing things, doing some special things. Yeah. And McSorley, there's a, he's got a little, there's a, he seems like he's a very confident kid. And uh, after he throws one of those oh, yeah. long passes, what are the, what's the celebration he does? It was kind of, I was like, what is that? It's like he's hitting a home run. Yeah. yeah he, he swings it. <laughs> and that's like, for Penn State fans, my goodness. I mean, <laughs> if that would have ever happened under Paterno, he would have, he, you know, that kid would be benched. But Franklin, <laughs> you know, he's a younger guy. He allows the celebration. Energy. You know, I don't think he's not going to put up with anybody. Uh, you know, mocking somebody or, you know, doing a throat flash or any of that sort of stuff. But he's fine with guys doing that sort of thing. It is, he is, he's, yeah, I think it's fair to say he's a cocky, uh, I, I'm, I'm a taller guy, so I can say he's a cocky little guy, but he's, he's a winner too. And he's, he's, he's been fun to cover. I mean, he's just, you know, he's not as outgoing as Matt McGloin, the guy they had a few years ago who's now going to be starting for the Raiders. Uh, but he has the same, they used to say McGloin had moxie. You know, there are probably people listening to that saying, what the hell is Moxie? That's what people, used, old people like me used to say back in the day when somebody had that certain something that you couldn't, couldn't describe. Well, this guy has a bunch of, McSorley has McMoxie too, I guess you would say. Yeah, there's a swagger there or something. I don't know. He, he's, uh, he seems like he's having fun. I mean, which is, it's college football. So you want to enjoy it. Well, like they to- all are. And that's the other, listen, Ryan, you go back to, to when you talked about the comebacks. You know, I, I would have to say a lot of that goes to Franklin, too, because he allows these guys to have fun. And when they fall behind, you're not seeing heads, you know, on the sideline, you know, sulking. It was in that Wisconsin game. You know, Penn State was down 28-7. to And I'm not saying they were, like, celebrating on the sideline, but it just looked like any normal game. Well, they start roaring back. And by the middle of the third quarter, you, you looked over to that Wisconsin sideline, and they looked like, you know, the, the proverbial deer in the headlights. I mean, Wisconsin looked like they were completely out of it. And, you know, we're sitting in there, a bunch of us in the press box at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, and it's like Penn State is going, you know, re- reporters who from, from kind of both sides, it's like Penn State's going to win this game. I mean, you could look and see the body language on the Wisconsin sideline. They just looked like they were completely out of it. And sure enough, they were able to come back and do it. Uh, one last thing before we let you go. I know you got stuff to do. We're all in the middle of uh, – um you know, covering the practices and the, the media availability and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, you had the beef bowl last night, right? I'm going to that in a little bit, uh, over. Yeah, I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to get there. I got to tell you, I mean, it's not a funny story. I feel bad, but I got had all this content and I wanted to get back and do a thing on Penn State's defensive coordinator. So I decided not to go to the beef bowl. I didn't take the media shuttle. I caught a ride back to the, to the, to the media hotel and, uh, the only reason to really go to the beef bowl other than getting some full B-roll photo and that sort of thing was Franklin was going to be available. So all the people on the media shuttle, it got stuck in traffic and they got there right as Franklin was, was finishing up talking. So I'm getting these texts from people saying, you, you know, these bleeping, bleeping, bleeper, bleeper, bleeper. And I'm sitting back at the, at the media hotel finishing writing, you know, posting my story. And I'm like, Oh, thank God I didn't do that. But <laughs> it sounded like it was fun. I can tell you this much, Ryan. They got a fantastic meal out of the deal, so they didn't get the interview they wanted, but they got some good food out of it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Every year they don't let the media participate. I'm not, you know, we're not, you know, eat, I guess. But this year they are, or that that's what I had heard. Yeah. I haven't covered for a while, so I'm looking. That's one of my favorite places to go. Um, I'm, I'm been, telling you, I mean, it's it's legit. I mean, I I I wasn't there, but 
the same people were texting me photos of the food down. It's like, well, okay, I guess maybe it was worth your while to go. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, I know you went to practice today, the nine minutes or whatever they let you watch. Uh, anything anything real interesting? <laughs> no, it's tough. I mean, you know, one of the great things about covering the Paterno Bowl games was that you never knew if you were going to get 30 minutes of practice or 30 seconds. They, they played it, – it, it, it was actually – you know, some people had aggravated, but if you went in understanding that he was half nuts by, by the end of it, <laughs> but for, for, they played LSU in the, uh, the cap one bowl, I think it was in 2009. And they had one of these bowl open practices and Penn state never opened practices under Paterno. So these were all unique things. And when you went, you kind of knew that you just stayed out of the way and stayed on the sideline. And at this particular one, one of the LSU TV people, as soon as it started, walked out on the field and started videotaping. And I gotta tell you, Ryan, it was two minutes in and Paterno saw the person on the field and said, get them all out of here. And he, he, they threw everybody out, all the media people after two minutes of, of, uh, of open practice. So here, at least we get nine, 10, whatever it is. And they give us availability, uh, during the week, during the season. But I think as you've probably come to know, when you have, and I don't know, maybe USC is different, but the, whenever we get availability, they're smart not, not to do anything that is, is important. So <laughs> it's so hard to say that you get anything out of it. I mean, they make us agree not to report on injuries. So not that I think there are any key injuries for Penn State. So I, I would love to say, yeah, you know what? I was over there at practice. Let me give you this expert scattering report. I, I just can't do it because we didn't see that much of anything. And then, like, one last thing, Mark, before we let you go, that's again, Mark Brennan. Uh, follow him on Twitter, Mark X Brennan on Twitter. And of course, he's the publisher of Fight on State, part of the scout.com network. Uh, any, I mean, I've, I don't know, like, how games go. They've, especially with bowl games, I think anything can happen. You don't know how players are going to react. And sometimes teams are on a roll and they play crappy in the bowl game or they're playing crappy at the end of the season and they play great in the bowl. I mean, any, how do you think this game is going to turn out? I think both teams are going to score a lot of points. I picked a 35-28 Penn State because I do, you know, from what I've seen of them, I've been impressed by their ability to play well and, and play well late against very good teams. And I think USC is a very good team. The wild card here for me is I just think it's so difficult to gauge how good SC is because who, how, how good is Washington? I don't know. I mean, maybe you can tell me. But I think that's what's going to make the uh, that first national or whatever semifinal is the first one where Washington plays Alabama. I'm really anxious to see that because if Washington plays well and and really represents, then I, I'm going to think, boy, Penn State could, is, is going to have its hands full. And I know sometimes that's dicey saying this opponent to this with this opponent, but if they get blown out, you know, I you know that's the one win that USC could really hang its hat on from what was it October 8th until now. I think they've only played one team with a winning record, and it was a very good team, and beat them on the road. But how, do we know how good that team is? I'm just not sure. So that's why I'm going with Penn State. And it's the same thing. I'm not going to make any comments about Penn State secondary being, being able to handle the wide receivers extremely well because the last time I did that <laughs> on national TV, I looked like a complete idiot. <laughs> hey, man. We're, you know, what's we your just... pick? Well, how you doing? What's your, what's your pick? If I can hit you with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we do a Pac-12 podcast, and I took USC to cover. I thought USC would win by a touchdown. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's when teams come out in the bowl game, like you said, you know, how, how is the teams that USC played, 
how good are they? You know, that, you know, you thought Oregon was going to be good. They weren't. You thought Notre Dame was going to be good. They weren't. You know, they beat a lot of teams that had losing records. Um, they certainly were playing a lot better. Um, I think the one thing is that Sam Darnold's very hard to sack. And I know Penn State does yeah. like to, to blitz a little bit more. Um, if they're able to get to him, and I thought UCLA was going to be able to do that. They got a sack early on him. Uh, and then the rest of the game, they didn't get him. And in the, and he's tough because you don't get him on that sack. Then he doesn't just run for two yards and avoid the negative play. He finds a guy down the field for 15 yards and gets a chunk play out of it. So that, I, you know, if he's able to continue to do that, I think USC will win. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I could, I almost anything could happen in this one for me. Well, and that's the beauty of this game is I think either of us could make our prediction. And I don't think either one is outlandish. And I could see either scenario. I, I could see anything happening in this game. And that's why I think it's so much fun. I, I will have to say, honestly, I was traveling. I was in an airport coming back from the Big Ten title game. And when I heard it was going to be USC in the Rose Bowl, well, you, you figured once that everything, once the playoffs came out and Penn State wasn't in it, I was thinking, man, I wish they would play in Colorado just because it's somebody Penn State hasn't seen. And I said, you know what? That's idiotic. Penn State should want to play USC because this is the team that handed Washington its lunch, took care of it up there. So if you want to prove that you belong, that you belonged in that top four, and I'm not saying I think that Penn State did. I, I'm not. I'm not making that argument. But a lot of people, as you might imagine, a lot of fans are, are on that bandwagon. And but So, hey, if you want to prove it, go head out and, and take care of business against USC, and that's your opportunity. And I do think that's a little bit of a motivating factor for Penn State as well. They're not going to say that. They're not going to come out and say it. But I do think they felt as if they were a little bit disrespected. I don't think they were. I think the teams that are in the, in the, in the final four belong there. Uh, but that's, it is going to make it very fun to watch those final four games, especially Washington, Alabama. And honestly, as, you know, guys who have covered these games for a long time, who knows what the heck's going to happen in a bowl. I just, I have a feeling it's going to be a fun game to watch. It definitely will. We'll see you out there on January 2nd. Uh, Mark, enjoy the rest of your time here in Southern California. Hope and uh, thanks again for jumping on the show with us. Anytime, Ryan. We'll have to catch up in the offseason, maybe talk some recruiting, whatever, and have some fun with it. That would be great. All right, Mark Brennan, fightonstate.com. Uh, thanks to Mark for the great preview of USC Penn State. Thank you all for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you guys enjoy the game, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.